welcome back to PZ's podcast. This is episode number 285 um, with the title Listen to the Music. And we've just been hearing from the Doobie Brothers' immortal um, single Listen to the Music. And the uh, delay that there's been recently has to do with computer problems I've had, which were solved yesterday. And they were solved decisively and um, wonderfully. So I'm back on the air. And it's a great joy to me to talk to you. And I want to talk about music, but not so much the music, which is the soundtrack of your life, or the music, which at least for guys is sort of the bedrock of everything that's important and helpful and fun. And um, rather, talk about music as the kind of... um, as the as what you listen to and what you hear and how it shapes your thinking, but in particular to one uh, kind of music that I'm hearing that I think is false to the empirical reality, and I'd like to talk about the empirical reality, and I'm talking about here the music or the narrative, to use the modern word, that describes um, America is losing its religion, REM. We are losing our religion, and sort of the millennial generation, especially the sort of <clears throat> kind of middle-class, university-educated, college JB people are kind of turning into what are called nuns, people who have no formal religion and perhaps they may regard themselves as spiritual, but they have no formal or institutional link. And for people who are connected to Mockingbird or who are connected to an attempt to renew the church from within, as I have been over the years, and many people I know, and Mary certainly has joined me in this in every way possible, laying down her life for this, the... Um, The narrative is important because it seems to be almost a self-fulfilling prophecy as it's couched that... uh that um, no one really wants to go to church and the church is weighed down by certain narratives and certain projections, so which are earned or unearned, which uh, prevent its uh, attraction and its light, uh, actually put its light under a bushel. And it's um, there's a narrative abreast that actually is not really true. I could talk about the emerging church movement. I could talk about all the different ways that people think that if we just innovate and change the format or the structure or the um, means to the end of spiritual health and hope and invitation and welcome, we will make a change. Whereas, you know how I think and how most people, many people listening to this cast would say, you, you've got to get far closer to the heart, the ad fontes, the deeper core of the thing. That's where the problem has been, not in its outward expression, but that's an old uh, record too, but I believe it. But I want to talk about that a little bit because um, I heard David Zoll talking about this uh, together with Sarah Condon and R.J. Heyman on the Mockingbird cast uh, recently, and I have certainly been saying it to myself in the Northeast that we can say that uh, the churches are emptying and the decline is obvious, and the decline is obvious in a great many places, certainly where I spend quite a bit of my time in the Northeast and Southern New England and New York City, but there's a problem with it because it's not completely true. I can name you right off the bat 10, maybe 15 parishes, Episcopal parishes, not to mention any number of other denominations, Christian denominations, where so-called millennials or young people and young families are flocking, where there are just tremendous um, um, movements of young people and young families towards the church. But why is it? They're all churches, the ones that I know, and I certainly know the opposite because we're surrounded by that, but I see churches where people are uh, knocking down the doors because the message of hope and of gospel and of God's mercy, God's absolution, the Tullian Tavidian message, the mocking cast message, the um, the message of what I see happening at uh, the Episcopal Church in Bedford, New York, 
where you find many younger people are coming. And the um, I looked at a photograph of a diocesan convention nearby recently, and yes, it was true. The photograph of the of the audience of the bishop's address was primarily people who, look, who have hair as white as mine, which turned white in about 10 days during a period of tremendous stress in my ministry. Um, and you can see it right there. But then I go to a church, for example, the parish in Bedford, or go to Calvary St. George's Parish in New York City, and it's entirely not true. There are all sorts of young people, singles, couples, children, um, people from all different types, sizes, shapes, and colors, and backgrounds, and lives, and incomes, and the whole thing. And they're all coming to places where there is a confidence in the message of God's grace to a properly diagnosed human situation. Most churches, it is true, underdiagnosed. They have the tools in the scripture, and sometimes in confessions of faith, like the 39 articles, but the, they're not using those tools, or they're failing to notice the power of the tools, because the Christian faith offers an understanding of human nature, which is diagnosed diagnostically, empirically accurate. The biggest problem that all schools of thought, from political schools of thought to philosophical schools of thought to um, <clears throat> schools of thought of um, theory in English departments uh, uh, throughout this country and to um, you, you name it, schemes for improvement of our world and our context, they're almost all hinging hinge to a, an empirically inaccurate and overly uh, an, over, an inflated view of human nature, which inevitably and invariably disappoints. And these um, views of human nature cause a disjunction between, the, between what they want to be true and what actually is true, and the result is uh, catastrophic uh, social decline and often really authoritarian thinking to sort of force the issue. And um, what these churches that I'm talking about, and there's one in Waco, Texas. There are a number of in Texas. I see one in Winter Park, Florida, just moving forward dramatically. I see um, parishes in Kentucky and in Chicago and in South Florida and in, as I said, New York City uh, and other places. I'm not talking, you know, of course, there's always a PSPCA sort of, you know, Reformed Christian Fellowship haven, and those are wonderful churches too. And gosh, look what Tim Keller did, but no one really wanted to know what Tim Keller was doing. There was one big article, finally, enfin, endless, about Tim Keller's success at Redeemer, but the place was just jammed. And Hillsong, I mean, for crying out loud, but I want to take this one step further. Not only is it true that churches where the absolute and indefatigable mercy of God, coupled with a realistic and accurate New Testament understanding of human boundness and human const the constraints on human freedom that we all have in some respect or another in our own lives. There's always one place that cannot respond to please, that we plea, P-L-E-A-S, that we do better. There is always one or two areas where we are absolutely and completely enthralled by something that is beyond our ability to change, alter, or diminish, and that is where the uh, Pauline gospel, uh, a friend of mine I'm talking to sometimes, keeps referring, he's never heard this message before, and he, he's a lifelong Christian, but he keeps referring to it as the, 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 the Paulinian emphasis, which I love. So let's just talk about the, the, the where, where that accurate picture of the human condition, because by the way, if you do not have an accurate picture of the human condition and you're a young person in America, you will probably end up taking your own life at some point. Why not? 
I mean, if you really do believe that people can be changed by activism or action or moralistic exhortation, exhortation of any kind, your disappointment will be such that if there's no other option for you at some point, especially if you're all alone and you're a little drunk and you have no one who really loves you and your love life has gone to pot, the chances that you will take your own life are very, very high in a situation with a when you're listening to the wrong music. So where the music is right, listen to the music by the doobies, then you have um, people thrive, people coming. And, and so I, uh, I dispute the dynamic, but I want to go one step further. The, um, I dispute the uh, view that the Christian church is not attracting young people. It is where the aid to self-slaughter is being given because the depression and the angst and the stresses, as David Zoll really brilliantly encapsulates in his book, Seculosity, those things are, there is no prescription for them, short of an accurate, merciful, compassionate, and empathetic listening ear on the one hand, and the dosage of the indefatigable and irrepressible and unending uh, message of God's grace. But there's one other thing, one other thing. Um, <clears throat> another reason why the demographics are wrong is because people who talk about the decline of church going in America are basically not actually speaking to immigrant communities, and especially Hispanic ones. Because if you, uh, I think there's often, that maybe the people who do these, um, you know, the, the different foundations that do these polls and the different polling organizations, I'm not sure that they're, uh, people who take the polls are fluent enough in Spanish because they're not, you, you see, oh, the same, the same figures are true in the Hispanic community or not as low but, but of church attendance but, or in the, um, the African-American community. Well, that's simply not true. <clears throat> I, I often wonder, where, who, to whom are they speaking? Now, why do I say it? Because I'm, I spend a lot of time now in, uh, among uh, Pentecostals because of uh, my uh, admiration and um, debt of gratitude to Paula White. <clears throat> I spend time in her parish and in churches like her parish. Um, somebody said, well, word is out in Washington, some circles, that, that you become a Pentecostal. <laughs> ah! That wouldn't be the case. That wouldn't be true. But I find a tremendous hope in a great deal of the preaching I hear when it's sincere and rooted in the New Testament from the Pentecostals. Now, who are the Pentecostals? They're primarily Hispanic in this country. And of course, there are tremendous numbers of African Americans. And go to a um, inner city uh, place anywhere from uh, Tucson to Bridgeport to Boston to Orlando uh, to Richmond uh, to Kansas City and find where the Hispanic Pentecostal community is going and you'll see a completely different picture. You'll see a picture of a, a, a church that is filled with young people, pastors and their wives who are extraordinary, and I must say, don't get me wrong, many, many women clergy, many women female preachers who are powerfully preaching the Word of God. It's in a culturally unusual form for sort of your normal upper-middle-class American type person who's grown up here and in something like some sort of church exposure. It takes a little, uh, you know, you have to sort of kind of be willing to throw some of your cultural um, baggage, uh, leave it at the door, but that's easy for most people if the need is great. And then you find that it's a completely different picture. Now, somebody confirmed this the other day. I said, well, now, again, in Connecticut, you know, nobody's going to church and the, the, the diocese of this and the diocese of that are suffering, but 
I said to this person who really knows, <clears throat> I said, what about the Hispanic community? He said, well, then he said, that's a horse of a different color because he said in Bridgeport, <clears throat> which is very soon to be tilted to majority Hispanic. Let, let me repeat that. Bridgeport, a large town, city in Connecticut. He said it, he, he's been there for years and is an insider, as it were, uh, in this world, although he comes from the same world, humanly speaking, that that uh, I might have grown up in, or at least been trained in. And he said, yes, where I live, uh, uh, Bridgeport is soon to be majority um, Hispanic and immigrant, but mostly Hispanic. And there, the, uh, com- the, the Hispanic Pentecostals are working with the African-American uh, Pentecostals and Evangelicals, and it's powerful. He said that there are many churches that are thriving, that are absolutely filled to the gills morning, noon, and night that are having enormous impact on the spiritual temperature of Bridgeport, Connecticut. He said, but no one will tell you. They'll, 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 they just don't even know. They, they don't want to know. And I was saying, you know, I, I want to say to myself, when people talk about the decline of the church, I said, well, you're not, t- remember, the, the, the Hispanic Pentecostal demographic, or that's the cliche, the, the word, these words, the um, proportion of Hispanic persons in uh, this country is growing as no one needs to tell anyone listening to this exponentially and uh, the number of Hispanic Pentecostals is unbelievable. Did you see what happened in Bolivia uh, this week when Morales, the socialist who worships the Andes earth god um, sort of fell out of favor and was exiled because of problems at the polling. He's been around for a long time. We know Bolivia and 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 the the woman who is now the was holding the uh, is now the titular, at least uh, the, the the leader right now, of the opposition, which is one, brought a huge big Bible into the House of Parliament in the capital of Bolivia and said the Bible is back. The Bible is back. Now <clears throat> she didn't say you know talk whether it's Catholicism or whether it's Pentecostalism. These uh, Pentecostal movements are vast. Uh, my friend Andy Ringel in Peru, who spent years there now, among the poorest of the poor, way in the Amazon, he says inevitably, even where the, here's a historically Catholic country, Peru, and how, he said, but you go out into the frontier uh, where all the cutting is going on and the various different, the, uh, you go into the frontier where the, all the activity is economically, and he said that the first people that got there were the Pentecostals. The first people that got there were Pentecostal ministers and their families to work it up. So what we're saying is that this word about the decline of Christianity in the United States is simply a one-sided, not correct picture. So you're not listening to the right music. And I, I do. I was talking to a friend of mine at Paula's church in Apopka, Florida, and uh, he couldn't be sweeter. His, his name is um, uh, Samuel Guzman, and I said to Samuel, who's really, I mean, he's right up, he's jumping all around, and I'm very impressed, but I, I can't, you know, that's a stretch for me, jumping all around the front of the dais where the music is going on. And I said, Samuel, what are you, I'm curious, tell me about yourself, and he's a lovely guy, and he said, oh, yes, I'm a street evangelist. I said, you're what? He said, yes, I'm a street evangelist. Um, and I said, oh, my gosh. He said, yeah, I go out in the morning and I preach on the street and wherever he does. And uh, I preach all day. And it's very hard going. I have to work very hard at it. But I'm a, this is my, my life and my job. And he was incredibly articulate. Then there's another man who's similarly inclined to, to be very, very present up front uh, during the times of ministry. His name is Raul. And he's a tear. And I ran into him in the, at the Publix in Winter Garden, Florida the other day. And... Um, I'm just going to get some fruit and peanut butter, the usual. They never have organic ground peanut butter. Our machine is broken. It's always the machine is broken. So anyway, I'm on one of my fruitless trips to get fruit and organic peanut butter that is not successful. And I talked to, I, I suddenly, I said, so, Dr. Paul, 
Dr. Paul. I turn around, don't see anybody. Dr. Paul, that's what they call me at, uh, at City of Destiny. Uh, Paul is church. And, I, and this lovely man is standing there who's doing his grocery shopping. And it's Raul. And he, he doesn't speak, I guess, humanly speaking, he doesn't speak that great English. And I, unfortunately, don't speak Spanish. And he just, we just hug. We have the most incredible connection. We exchange more than pleasantries. We really, you know, how are you doing with your soul? You know, and he asks me, how, and how are you doing? And I answer him, well, I'm this or that. And there's more exchange between me and my brother Raul uh, with over grocery carts at the Publix in Winter Garden, Florida, than there is in a life of Sundays at uh, exchanging the peace, you know, and uh, at the church social hour. And that is powerful. So listen to the music. Listen to the real music. And then you'll find that you, your spirits, yes, you may find, as Nancy Hanna blazed the trail years ago, that our work is not just to teach English as a second language or not just to be a center for justice for, for uh, against deportations. That has its place, of course, but to be a place where we are joining forces with the Hispanic Pentecostal preacher who's just down the road and providing maybe a place where they can meet in a nice place on a Sunday night or uh, trying to uh, help them fund a church plant in North Tarrytown. I mean, that's, but it, but because the gospel is the same, the basic message of Jesus Christ's love for sinners. I mean, I can cry just thinking about it. This is where the great ministry is. And we found one day that our best friends in Westchester County on the Hudson River, our, our closest associates were almost all Spanish Pentecostal preachers and their lovely lady and their growing churches. So uh, listen to the right music, not the wrong music. Now we're going to conclude with a zany, uh, quick um, um, Joe Meek uh, produced track from Heinz. I won't give you a speech about Heinz, but this goes back to the early 60s and it's called Questions I Can't Answer. Listen to it carefully because Heinz um, was produced by Joe Meek and he's the song is brilliant because when he says questions I can't answer, it's not like the Moody Blues questions, you know, why why does God this or how come that or what about the moon or what about the stars or what about me? The questions I can't answer are the real questions of life. Listen to the questions. Listen to him tell you what the questions that he can't answer. And then you'll have a clue to what the real meaning of life is. Thank you very much.
Wish I knew why 